Our guest today raised a daughter who was a classic tomboy, and she even wrote a book about it. You may be wondering what that has to do with raising boys. It does. Stay tuned. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Hey, Jen, what are you doing this winter to take care of yourself and your family? I am committing to getting up, which I hate doing, but getting up and including some movement in every day. I am journaling. Those two things are both so important for my mental health. And I've started taking Sambucol every day. I really like the samples they sent us, Janet. I do too. I've started taking them as well. And you know what? I just feel kind of happy with myself that I'm taking care of myself in that way. Using elderberries, which is from nature, and just having that extra little boost in my wellness routine. I like that there are so many different options too. We got a sample of the gummies. We got a sample of the drink powder and the syrup. I love the gummies. And I gave one to my 18 year old to to see what his response was. He said solid, which is very high praise for an 18 year old boy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We listeners, we are talking about Sam Bucall. This is powered by nature. Super fruit which is black elderberry. So you can incorporate this into your wellness routine. Sam Bucall, go to sambucallusa.com. That's S-A-M-B-U-C-O-L-U-S-A.com and use the discount code BOYS15 to get 15% off of your next order. We want you and your family to stay in good health this winter. Sambucol is another way you can do that. Listeners, you have heard us mention Janet's Decoding Your Boy program before. Maybe you didn't need it the first time you heard us talk about it. Think about the most recent thing that your son did that baffled you, confused you, and had you in tears. I guarantee that this is something that Janet will be addressing in this year-long support, uh, personalized coaching, connecting with other parents. 
and connecting with me. I love, love, love talking directly with parents and troubleshooting. And do I have all the answers all the time? No, but we usually come up with some strategy and some new perspective that is going to help you decode your boy. Check out her Decoding Your Boy program. Go to boysalive.com slash decode. You can join at any point during the year, which means the next time your kid is driving you crazy, go to boysalive.com slash decode. Use our on boys code. Check it out. Today's guest says that you should consider buying your son a pink tutu. Journalist Lisa Selen Davis, she started digging into the history of gender in this country after her then six-year-old daughter described herself as a tomboy. That led to the publication of Lisa's 2020 book, Tomboy, which might not sound all that relevant to On Boys listeners, given that the subtitle is The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to Be Different, but what she's found is relevant to parents of all genders. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for having me. All right. The reference to the pink tutu came from a Washington Post article that you published shortly before Christmas. And basically, you were talking about how hyper-gendered toys and childhood have become. And you were saying, hey, it's okay to break out of the pink and blue aisles. Give us a quick rundown of like the history of gender norms in America. I follow you on social media and it was intriguing to me. Like you mentioned that parents began emphasizing masculinity in boys really because they wanted them to be straight. Yeah. In fact, the way that we conceive of boy stuff and girl stuff in this country is really only about a hundred years old. And it's important to, for us to understand that what we think of as normal for boys and normal for girls is culturally and temporally dependent. It's our culture and our time and that it's dependent on our understandings of sex, gender and sexuality, which have been in constant evolution and still are, even though a lot of people are saying that now we've reached nirvana and enlightenment. In fact, we need to constantly be learning and evolving. So up until the end of the, the 19th century, sex, gender, and sexuality were pretty much thought of as one thing. You're a boy, a male, so you have a certain kind of sexuality and a certain kind of way of being gendered, and that was normal, and, and, and your sex would be predict predictive of all of that. Those were all mixed together. But then the field of sexology gained prominence and people started studying human sexuality and the concept of homosexuality was teased out. So you could be one sex, but then you could have this kind of identity as a gay person. And that then it was debated, is that, is that okay? Is that normal or not? And, and there were some people saying it was normal, but obviously they lost that battle. And so, from psychology and sexology, parents learned that it was not a desirable outcome, you know, to have a to have your child grow up to be gay. So the way to prevent that from happening was to emphasize masculinity. And and the concern was, of course, mostly about boys, because 
female sexuality was much less studied and understood. It was much less okay, generally speaking. Like we weren't even studying or talking about it because it was like, ooh, female sexuality, no. Right, it just was assumed to almost not be a thing. Right. Right, that even female sexual desire just, and nobody cared. I mean, what was concerned was that girls would grow up to be good uh, baby makers and mothers, right? Wives and mothers. and so that be, that's when instead of all young children wearing dresses and all young children having long hair, which had been the norm, right? They were all they were dressed according to age, not sex. Mm. We went from that to actually let's really emphasize biological sex because the assumption was gender and 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 sex were still mixed together. There wasn't a separate concept of gender. We arrived at a separate concept of sexuality. So the result of that was oh, really emphasize that that this boy is a young man mm-hmm. and put all the manly, no, no more lace and ruffles, put all, um, put everything that we associate with masculinity onto their clothes and onto their toys. And the messaging of toys became very explicit by about 1920, 1925 of buy this erector set and your son will grow up to fix things and buy this mop and broom set and your daughter will grow up to know how to properly take care of the house. So it's very recent that we've tried, that we created toys and clothes primarily to emphasize gender roles and tell them how to be a boy or how to be a girl. And how much of this is marketing driven? I mean, I can imagine some some white old white men in there with smoking their cigars and uh, saying, oh, we need to make more money for our toy company. So we're going to emphasize this difference. When did that come into play? Well, if you look at how this idea of what's normal for boys and girls, how it evolves, it's always a generational generational reaction. So you get a kind of beginning of hypergendering in the 1920s. And then you get the first kind of round of tomboys. And you see in a lot of marketing in 1950s, that's when you start getting a little bit more of, you get, you know, you get Scout Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. You get this kind of like, it's, it's cool to be a tomboy, but boys, it's always pretty much the same thing. You're, you're in a tiny box. We're adjusting the box for girls here and there. And then you get uh, more rigid gender roles. And then you get 1970s where you have um, the real massive tomboy era. And it's really cool to be a masculine girl. And, and this, nothing much happened for boys, but for adult men, you had the peacock revolution where they could wear paisley and ruffles. But again, it didn't affect boyhood still. The 1970s was this tomboy emphasizing masculinity in everybody and rejecting femininity in everybody. And then you get the 1990s and you get the girl power era and you get emphasizing femininity, but it's powerful. Each time marketers become more aware that gender affects sales. So in the 1970s and 80s, when we were having a recession, toy marketers were realizing that they had to come up with ways to sell toys and clothing manufacturers. So the more you emphasize this, this toy is only for one sex of human being, the more you have to buy two of them, right? And in the 80s, you also had deregulation of kids TV. And so you had all these TV programs like He-Man, you know, or that were a television show that's selling a product. And usually that's why there was He-Man and She-Ra. Right. To sell two different products, right? Got it. 
right now we're in this really chaotic time where we have the first generation starting in the 1990s to to be raised with full hypergendering where you had prenatal sex testing you had marketers who were fully aware by 2003 or something you had the disney princess line i mean you everything you could possibly think of to emphasize sex differences in boys and girls and perhaps um the generational reaction to that is the kind of like let's explode the gender binary or all, everything that's happening with these ideas about gender now and gender now being taught to kids as gender is how i feel inside me instead of gender is a, a series of expectations imposed upon you based on sex. So that's what I mean when I say we have to constantly keep evolving and keep learning and understand that our ideas of normal are always in reaction to how sex, gender, and sexuality are understood at a, at a place and time. We're, we're constantly reacting to what came before. And I'll just emphasize again, for boys, it was it has been fairly constant for a hundred years that you are only allowed you 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 cannot stray, even though we made up what's okay for you, right? We made it up, but we're but we're not opening it even even after all this time. You have written many of the things that we have traditionally associated with boys have long since been open to girls, sports, pants, you know. It, most of us listening have lived through that experience, but there has never been a concerted movement to open girls' worlds to boys. And we are recording this in 2022. Those of us listening, like we've seen a little bit of push to that. You know, we have seen and heard about boys painting their fingernails and boys wearing pink tutus. But Lisa, why? It's 2022. Why is there still such resistance to really opening this up and saying, hey, this is the human experience. Have at it, no matter boy, girl. I think it's because, if you don't mind my saying so, men matter more than women, right, in our society. And so we're very concerned with them staying in their lane because we emphasize everything about them more. We study men's sexuality and always have more than women's sexuality. We study men's health more, you know. Mm -hmm. It was just a study out that women die more in surgeries performed by men than by women. I mean, some of it's simple. I can link to that one in the show notes, listeners, if you're interested, because as a health writer, I followed that one too. As a, and as a woman, I follow these stories. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And I and I wonder, I'm, I'm working on this book that's about the history of the ideal and idea of the housewife. And I discovered these recent papers showing that when they went back and DNA tested a whole bunch of skeletons that were, they assumed were master hunters because of the, the way they were buried. And, and every, all the archeologists just assumed they were men because they were hunters, but now we have DNA testing. And then they realized that a lot of them were women and that it was fairly common in the Paleolithic era for women to hunt because it was a communal activity. So I, I think that this emphasis on men and masculinity that we're, we're thinking that, it's, that there's an evolutionary reason for it but I think it's mostly a cultural reason that men are in charge and we're, we're concerned with them. Um, but I would be curious um, to get 
an archaeologist or anthropologist or evolutionary biologist's view on that. Yeah. I think it's incredibly threatening for people. And I think, and I think there's just a tremendous amount of homophobia. And I think, you know, I think parents don't realize that when you say, oh, that's not, oh, no, honey, don't buy that because that's a pink ball. That, that That is a message that it's not okay to be feminine. And that is a message also that it's not okay to be gay, even though, of course, there are, there are not all gay men are feminine. But, right, right. Uh, but, but, the, but the bulk historically of feminine men have been gay. So it's, but not all, of course. I, I mean, I kind of hate the answer, but I just think it comes down to misogyny and homophobia. We've talked on here before and privately, Janet, you know, it's so challenging for parents who are raising boys today um, and other people who care about boys, teachers, aunts, uncles, community members. You know, there are many of us who on the one hand, we want to say, whatever, if you want to wear the tutu, great. If you want to play with the trucks, great. If you want to wear a tutu while playing with the trucks, fantastic. And we live in this culture in this time. And so we ourselves as parents, and we talk to other parents who we feel like we're trying to, you know, tap dance around this, where we want our sons to be free to be whoever they are. And we don't want them being bullied, being made fun of, you know, suffering these social consequences, which frankly still exist in 2022 in schools, on playgrounds, in our own homes. Yeah, and I was just thinking about, it was even hard for me when I sent my child to elementary school with short hair in clothes that are, you know, marketed to boys. And it was very hard for some, a couple of the kids to understand. And it felt like bullying. It wasn't bullying, but it was kids going like, you can't be a girl. You're not a girl. And they just had never seen anyone like that. And of course I had seen, I grew up in the seventies. So I'd seen lots of kids like that. Right. So it's actually gotten, there are fewer and fewer people who, who look like that. Although that, you know, that might be changing, but there was a word. It wasn't a great word right tomboy i'm sure that some kid asked his mom about it and the mom said i mean it could have been a dad but <laughs> just knowing the way these generally works you know i'm sure the parents said oh that's a tomboy um and and remember this is also a few years ago when there was like less less discussion about trans kids so that wouldn't yes. have come to the parent's mind um so the parent had this word but well, we don't have a word we don't have an equivalent for boys right I'm not and the words that have been used have been very derogatory and they have been meant to be derogatory. You hear sissy, right? You hear girly boy. Uh, those things all have that connotation of you should not be this. Right. And there's also as whatever we say to our children and whatever safe space we try to create, they go out into the world and they learn, I think they learn about gender from their peers more than anyone mm -hmm. else. And it's very important to young children as part of their development to fit in. And once they learn, you know, if a kid goes to preschool um, or, or to daycare, let's say, you'll notice the kids are generally playing together mm -hmm. and they're doing whatever. And if they go to preschool age three, four, they start dividing. 
they start to be girls playing with girls and boys playing with boys. And that's when you'll see the gender nonconforming ones, usually between age three and six, pop out. That's when that you might say, as the play gets divided, a boy might be like, I want to do what the girls are doing. Yeah. And so the, that and that boy may think he's a girl because he is naturally drawn to the, to the girl's gender role. Even though a lot of what's in the girl's kind of gender role is, is a construction, right? It's a construction and it's also real. As Mother's Day is coming around, oh, I find I'm missing my mom more and more. And there's always questions and stories I wish I had asked her when she was still here. I do remember that I gave her a book once upon a time with questions for her to write the answers to and bless her heart, she didn't answer very many. So that was really a disappointment. But fast forward to now and technology, and now we have mylifeinabook.com. It takes all those questions and stories and it puts it in a format that is sent to your person, whoever you designate, on a regular basis so that the prompts come, they're easily answered either written or voice to text, and they're captured by mylifeinabook.com. These family stories, this legacy that you want to leave for your children and your grandchildren. Mylifeinabook.com, create an unforgettable gift for your mom, your dad, your children this Mother's Day. Use our coupon code ONBOYS for 10% off. Go to mylifeinabook.com and use ONBOYS for 10% off. Create that legacy. Carry on those stories. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. Wanting to play with the toy kitchen, wanting to play with the dolls does not make a boy a girl. We don't know what it means when a, when a girl is drawn to the male gender role. A lot of people have decided we know what it means, but all of the research we have until now shows us that we don't know what that means. That there's, that historically there has been 
a connection of some kind to homosexuality, but it's not predictive of, of anything doing that. And, but it, but it is something innate in the child that they're going against the grain and they may be in the middle, they may be playing with both, but they might be the only one doing that. And what we know about that time is that the kids are trying to perfect if they were told they're a girl and they know they've learned the the gender stereotypes associated with girldom, whatever they are, because they've been different in different eras. They'll try to perfect them because they think what makes them a girl is perfecting the stereotypes. So it takes several years for gender constancy to develop where they realize, for most of them anyway, you know, this is about my body so I can stray a little bit. And, I, and, and here's, in some ways, I found this, out of all the research I did, I, this is what blew my mind the most, is that, so it takes a few years for gender constancy to, to develop and you'll think you're a girl if you like the girl stereotypes or you're just like bullying other kids out, you know, you're not doing girl right or you're not doing boy right. And boys will tease each other if they, if a boy likes a, a toy kitchen. And they're all kind of establishing this social order because they think that the that the boy stuff and the girl stuff is what makes them a boy or a girl and then they grow up a little bit and they understand that that's stable let's pretend right now that we that there's not this parallel conversation about gender fluidity and all that stuff because now i think people can t tell kids like you can be whatever you want a boy or a girl and but i'm going on the the research before this kind of reactive the, this current wave that generational reaction to hypergendering as i as i see it so then at around seven or eight, once you have gender constancy, that's when these girls often go through a tomboy phase where they say, oh, I don't want to wear dresses anymore. I hate pink. I didn't know anything about this, but this did happen not with my masculine daughter, but with my other daughter. And it happened with all of her friends in first grade of just, oh, I hate that stuff. But it doesn't happen with boys. Boys don't say, oh, I hate trucks. I hate blue. You know, um, it's interesting as you say that, because as, you know, I was a girl who, who grew up to be a woman, right? There's some social and cultural power in liking the guy stuff in being able to get along with the guys, because as you said, it's still a society where guys are valued for a boy to say, I don't like the boy stuff. I like the girl stuff. Socially, that's kind of a downgrade. Like that's not going to help you get ahead. And that's really sad to say out loud and put together, but that's the reality as I've seen it and experienced it. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening at that phase around seven or eight is they're at, they, they understand gender constancy, but then they also stand, understand gender hierarchy. So, the, oh. so they all understand that our, that our culture devalues femininity. So they all reject it. Even the girls. All is not the right word here, but yeah. you know, something like 74% of girls were rejecting femininity in this one study and, and performing what these researchers called the, the pink frilly dress to tomboy phase. And then they found that the boys got even more rigid in their adherence to gender stereotypes at the same time. So the boys also understood that femininity was a downgrade, as you say, that being friendly with girls, that being interested in girl things, like that you could not afford yeah. socially to, to cross that line at all. And I, that really, that blew my mind when I, when I read that research. It's mind blowing 
except for that I can look all around and see examples of it. And that totally explains, you know, this almost uh, boys around that age and, and tween boys, Janet, you and I have both seen this, you know, tween boys, this jockeying for power and you kind of, like you said, perform. Like if I can be more masculine, I have more status. So this need to hide the things that I might like dancing or cooking or knitting I'm not going to exactly be talking about those with my guy friends in the locker room right it's the regulatory power of shame wow and and they learn to wield it onto others and onto themselves very early then there's plenty of research showing how harmful that is because you learn to subjugate parts of yourself and to feel shame about what you're naturally drawn to or what you might be interested in or you just close yourself off to things and and that's why i think we need to learn from these organically gender non-conforming kids the ones who don't do what they what the Mm -hmm. other people in their sex category do because there's research showing that those kids, if they are supported, you know, if they get encouragement um, and they don't feel shame, that they tend to do better in a host of ways, even the kind of sensitive, you know, feminine men, that if you are, if you're just, if you're just conforming to the stereotypes of the opposite sex, and then that's probably not any better. But if you're a kid who is able to be friends with both boys and girls, who is able to explore, you know, both toys that that are quote unquote boy toys that build like spatial relations and engineering skills and girl toys that build communication skills. Like the, the more a child is immune to gender stereotypes, uh, the better it is for them in life. So so everything is gendered, right? but we know that's bad for kids because we've then we're telling boys don't invest in anything that helps you develop empathy and communication skills and we're telling girls you know don't work with anything that will develop your leadership whatever these skills are that are associated with the different Mm -hmm. and and so i i recently saw this article another an art you know i'd written a bunch of articles around christmas about gender neutral toys And I saw an article that was like, it's so hard to buy toys for trans kids, you know, and, you know, find a sled that has no gender markers or find a, well, that's not, that's not my message, right? That's just, that's just adhering to the stereotypes. My message is we imposed femininity onto these material objects. And then we told boys they were bad. Almost any object, almost any toy is gender neutral because gender is what we make of it. So in order to girls, you can already buy a girl a basketball for Christmas and it's fine. No one is going to sanction you for doing that. They might say like, oh, you know, good luck. But Lisa, you can also buy a pink basketball for your girl. You can buy it. That's right. They made you a girl's basketball. They did. And so I'm like, buy the pink basketball for the boy. You want gender neutral toys? Make it so. That's my yes. message. We don't have to keep participating in this. It's kind of ridiculous. And I think what's happening is marketers are figuring out now because it's always a reaction. Everything is a reaction. Now marketers 
who who had been like, oh, the way to sell a lot of stuff is to gender the heck out of it. And now they're saying, oh, you know what? We can actually sell it to twice as many people if we remove the gender markers. Right. So so that's the so they're catching on, um, which is good. And the the toy association stopped having, I think, in 2016 or 2017. Like best boy toy, best girl toy. Yeah, they stopped doing best boy and girl toy of the year. When I went to buy a Lego set for my daughter the other day, she was not interested in, but I was like, you gotta play with more Legos. (laughs) Um, And then she did it and it was great. But I noticed that they didn't have a section, but they had all the pink Legos on one side and all the blue Legos on the other side. (laughs) It's very uncomfortable for people. They just don't know why it's uncomfortable. So So what I'm wondering, you said something a little bit ago and you talked about how, you know, thanks to all this cultural pressure that we are all immersed in children, parents, grandparents, you know, um, it's very easy for kids to feel shame and be shamed for what they're naturally drawn to. And as a corollary to that, I think it's really hard for people, not just kids, people to figure out what they are naturally drawn to because there's all of this pressure. Like none of us exist in the space without this pressure. Yeah. Well, we're social animals and yeah, we live in communities I mean, the, the ones the ones who do know are those ones who emerge between age three and six, you know, and who just are like, oops, wow, they're really going in their own direction. That's why I'm like, oh, they're fascinating. I studied a lot about them. Um, and, and my idea was rather than pathologize them or to just say, like, let's get more kids to be like that. So as a parent, I am one single parent. Uh, it sounds like one of the things that I can do is really do my best to, I don't want to say not pay attention to the gender markers, like here, have access to all the toys. It doesn't mean I need to buy all the toys, of course, but you know that like, because my children are all boys, like not only have boy toys in the house, also have quote unquote girl toys and um, follow their interests. Try not to shame children for what they're interested in. What are some other things that I can do as an individual parent in my house? And then maybe what are some things that we can do as parents and, you know, concerned adults together to hopefully create, you know, just healthier ways of of being and handling gender? I always think there are three tiers. There's what you can do in your family. There's what you can do in your community. And there's what you can do at the cultural level. Okay. And I'm kind of impressed by what's happened at the cultural level that have come, you know, the boy and girl toy thing that with the toy association, I think was the result of, you know, a parent starting a petition. Awesome. I think we can move the needle culturally more than we know. And I actually think we can do a lot in our, in our own home. And, you know, I've probably overcorrected in that my, my children just beg me to stop talking about gender. They just are like, please. please They're your children. They're going to beg you to stop talking about whatever your thing is. I I wish I was still obsessed with urban planning. Like I used to be, because that was much less fraught, but But they'd be sick of you talking about that too. That would be funny though. You're absolutely right. We can buy all the toys and we can just lay them all out and we can show them TV shows, if you can find them with gender nonconforming kids that are, you know, just boys, but who like 
you know, who are feminine, like girl stuff. There is a Canadian TV producer named JJ Johnson, I think, who makes shows like Dino Dana and Androids. On Androids, you know, the star is a science-minded girl and the boy is, a, you know, a little bit shrieky and maybe, I wouldn't say feminine, but just, you know, they're just very immune to, to not very immune, but it's different. Not the hyper-masculinized version of yeah. boy that we often see. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, there are shows out there that have more diverse portrayals of how to be boys and girls. And all that stuff is really important. I think the community is where it gets hard. Mm. I think the you know the school is where it gets hard. Yep. Or, you know if you have a religious institution, I think in these communities there end up being doctrines that can be hard, whether they're overt or not, that can be hard to even question. And I think. You know, I, I, whenever I write some article that deals with boys, someone sends me a nasty letter saying, like, you're trying to make a boy gay. You know, I'm not homophobic, so I'm perfectly happy if a boy is gay, but that is not the point. You know, the point is to develop all the school, as many of these skills for life as possible and to not feel shame. There is some kind of resistance at the community level that I feel is difficult and and although this is probably incredibly on pc to say it it is part of my message that there's a real focus on gender identity in a lot of schools and that does create room for a very small percentage of of kids who identify as trans and i think sometimes in those conversations we leave out gender stereotypes and and i i just saw this picture that i'll send to you and you you can put it up that says, where on the gender spectrum are you? And at one pole is Ken, and at the other pole is Barbie. And this is a, you know, it's like, Whoa. A it's a teaching tool. What I want my school to teach about, it, and they won't, they did a lot of lessons about and books about, you know, kids who are born in the wrong body, but they've really never talked about gender stereotypes. That's what we need to talk about at the community level. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about those other things. I'm saying that in You're saying school. both. Both parts are yeah. important. I'm saying I'm saying that gender stereotypes affect all kids. It's interesting that you say that because um, you know that I am currently working on a book um, basically about raising boys and, and helping boys grow up to be the best versions of themselves, you know, to be be who they can be. You know, sometimes you write sentences that sort of surprise yourself. And I wrote something and and really what it was pointing out was that yes. We're all affected by gender stereotypes. So many of us who are who are women, who are female, we know we're affected by gender stereotypes. We have had this discussion our whole life long. We know how our gender has limited us in some ways and shaped uh, perceptions of who we should be. It has not really been talked about how gender stereotypes affect boys and have limited boys and, and who they are and who they can be and affect our perceptions. Gender affects all of us. Gender stereotypes and the perceptions um, others have on a, as a result of that affect all of us. And I think we have to talk openly about that to be able to help our kids navigate this culture, this time, this place, and what we are talking about and understanding in terms of gender. I talked to Michael Reichert for an article of something about boys and 
he said, watch normal people, which was then I, did you watch that show on, on Hulu? I did not. Um, geez, it's mesmerizing. I ended up being like, I'm, I'm sorry, family. I'll be gone for the next episode because <laughs> I cannot stop. And he told me to watch it because it was, there, there's an actor who cannot access his emotions. He cannot name them. He doesn't have, he, he doesn't have the ability to get granular about what he's feeling. So, and it stunts him in this in this way michael Riker talked just about that being an issue for boys like they can't even name what they're mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. and in emma brown's book i just remember being wowed by so much of it but the the violence violence almost as communication and mm -hmm. boys assaulting each other pardon the graphicness of this but like assaulting each other with like broom handles, you know, sodomizing each other violently and it not being called rape. Right. Because people couldn't wrap their minds around that being like boys being sexual with other boys in that way. And it was violent. They saw it as violence, but they didn't see it as sexual violence. And it, these, this kind of separate criteria, the separate lens through which we're viewing all these things you know, without questioning that is, I, I think that's a problem. And the goal is to get right, allow the kids to grow up to be the best versions of themselves. In order for that to happen, we have to, to have these discussions about gender stereotypes. We So many people think, oh, we took care of it in the 1970s. We listened to Free to Be You and Me, which I know every word of by heart, <laughs> and we're done. But they don't realize that we had a generational reaction to free to be you and me. And then we had a generational reaction to that. Again, we have to keep evolving and learning. And when you have it so well documented that gender norms are stilting boys in so many ways, then yet we have to ask at, at the three levels, at the family level, at the community level, at the cultural level, what do we have to do to make boys feel freer. And again, it goes back to, you have to open up all the stuff that's marked as feminine to them. And that is, that's, a, that's uncomfortable, but that's okay. I'm gonna be a grandma soon. So I'm in that, in that space of my daughter has chosen not to have, not to find out what the baby is. So it's so interesting to talk to people because this is where the, the stereotypes start. Uber drivers, oh, what do you, you know, what's it going to be? Oh, they don't know. And people are actually really positive about that, of not knowing. I think there was the, the time when, and I think we are still having gender reveal parties, which I'm realizing for me, just thinking about this baby to be, I'm not thinking boy or girl, which is kind of nice. I don't have already this preconceived That's idea. Really of boy Interesting girl. yeah that you um have gotten a positive reaction because I know. you know the, the last times I was pregnant was like early 2000s my youngest son was born in 2006 but with some of my pregnancies people would get downright like upset if I didn't know what it know if the baby was a boy or a girl or frankly there there was at least once where we knew we just chose not to tell the world because it's none of your business yeah, yeah. also yeah. truthfully because at that point we already had uh, two boys. No, we already had three boys and we knew it was another boy, 
And we knew full well, because we already had three boys that if we said it's a boy, we would get, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No. It's so it's so ingrained. And then I was talking to my daughter about this. So they've used they, them pronouns throughout the whole pregnancy. And interesting. So she's in the circle of moms to be, but apparently, and I didn't realize this, there is that faction of people that are not stating after birth, whether it's a boy or a girl and allowing, and you were talking about this age three, allowing the child by the time they go to preschool, then that's when the child decides what gender they are. I bet we could do a whole nother conversation about that. Couldn't we, Lisa? I know someone who wrote a book about that called Raising Them, Kyle oh. Myers. So you profiled Kyle in the book and talked about people, you know, choosing to keep the sex of their child from the world because they believe that, you know, a child should choose their gender identity or establish or discover their gender identity regardless of sex. The reason Dr. Myers did that was because they had studied a lot about the effects of gender on health and health disparities and uh, wanted the child to feel, you know, free to access anything. And so if they didn't, if the, if the sex was not emphasized, then perhaps the child could just find their way. And that is how some people, small number of people are choosing to raise their children. But I don't think that's going to work for most people. And, and that's why I think we can make other changes so that kids can feel that way without having an X on their birth certificate or not telling people their sex. My idea is that we have really emphasized sex and gender a lot in the last you know, generation. And we are still emphasizing it, even though we think we're in this revolutionary period, we're still emphasizing it all the time. And um, what if we de-emphasize sex and gender? I don't know if this is still going on, but at one point I had bought a Kindle Fire and it made you choose a gender. And I, you know, who knows what they mean by that word because it said male or female. So everyone's mixing up gender and sex, but at any rate, you could choose whatever, you could choose male or female or boy or girl, I forget. And then it populated the entire electronic universe of your Kindle, of your child's Kindle Fire. Wow tablet based on what you chose that's emphasizing both sex and gender i'm asking us to de-emphasize it and hiding it is one way right keeping it a secret but it's not it's a very per that's doing your thing at the personal level that's not doing much yeah. for the community or the culture so you can do that's fine you can do that to either protect your child from gendered messages or because you think it's important for a child to discover their own gender identity. But for the bulk of people, we're gonna to need to make other kinds of changes if we wanna do this. And I hope it's not going back to 1920, you know? I hope that we don't, what the, what's the generational reaction to exploding the binary? I hope it's not, I hope it's not super constricting, you know, as a, as a reaction, but I- You have mentioned uh, the importance of you know, kind of continuing to learn and understanding that gender is, is shaped in, in time and culture. 
I have to mention your newsletter. Lisa has an amazing newsletter on Substack. It's called Broadview. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's fascinating. I say this as a fellow writer and journalist. Lisa is writing some of the best, most thought-provoking stuff that I am reading these days about gender, about boys. So I highly recommend finding her newsletter, subscribing, following her on social media. Where can people find more of your work, Lisa? That's so nice of you to say. I am reluctantly on Twitter at Lisa Stellan Davis and same on Instagram. I mean, I'm still publishing a lot of op-eds in big places, but in particular, the New York Times had taken several and then they stopped and some other to me, it seemed that the range of acceptable ideas has gotten narrower and narrower. My ideas have actually gotten broader and broader. So of what I think it's important for people to know. So I'm doing my newsletter because I think the mainstream media is really missing a lot of important parts of the discussion about gender. And I think it did a lot of evolving, but seems to have stopped temporarily. So I'm trying to move I'm trying to move that discussion so so that we can keep evolving and keep taking information in. And I'm trying to do that myself. And I will say that professionally, I'm very able to do that. And I'm calling up people with lots of different viewpoints all the time and trying to input them and make sense of them. Personally, interpersonally, when I have these discussions, I'm usually like very closed down and I know, you know, and why doesn't everyone just listen to me? So I really, I think I... I've learned so much that sometimes I'm incredibly frustrated when people around me don't seem to be um, drinking whatever Kool-Aid I'm drinking, you know, <laughs> maybe we're all drinking Kool-Aid and it's just different flavors, but yes, we have to keep taking information and even when it disrupts our own paradigm and that's really hard to do. It's hard for me. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom your research, your expertise with us. It is invaluable to me to keep exploring and learning. I can be exactly the same way. I bet you can too, Janet. Like, come on, I know the right way to do this. And my kids get sick of it. And so do people who follow me, but we'll keep going. We will keep going. We will keep having these discussions and let's continue our work to open up the world for all of our children. I love that idea. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Jen is so right. We've got to open up the conversation for all of our children. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being on Boys listeners. If you liked this podcast, if you found it valuable, please share it with a friend and please support our sponsors. It helps us keep bringing you these important conversations. We are Janet Allison and Jennifer L.W. Fink. Our sponsors this episode are Sam Bucall, S-A-M-B-U-C-O-L-U-S-A.com. Use the coupon code BOYS15 for 15% off your first order. Keep yourself and your family healthy this winter. And decoding your boys, less yelling, more connecting. You want to have the way to communicate with him in his language, not necessarily yours. Decoding your boys. 
go to boysalive.com decode and you'll find all the information there. Once again, thanks for being on Boys Listeners.